0: morning, Church of Omaha. How many of you have been enjoying that little bit cooler weather? I, uh, I love this time of year, but I do hate the leaves. They're pretty to see on the trees, but when, when all the trees in my yard drop leaves every day, and no matter how many times I feel like I rake the yard, it's always more leaves there. It's like you can never catch up. Uh, I am excited to get to stand before you this morning. I was just telling Pastor Powell, I'm not exactly sure why. Uh, But I feel like the last several messages that I have got up here to preach have been a little, let's say, on the heavier end um, as opposed to the, you know, light, encouragement, make you feel good and clap your hands type messages. And I'm going to share with you a little bit of a secret. So last time I spoke, I I talked about the voice of God and kind of went through uh, several things and about how that we have to guard ourselves so that we make sure we know what God's voice actually sounds like. And at the end of that message, um, I I had talked about how that sometimes, if we're not careful, there will be so many other voices within our head that we will begin to believe that the other voice is the voice of God. Those voices that speak in our ear and tell us that we're not good enough and tell us that we're, you know, we've done too much wrong and those kind of things. And if if we're not careful, those, those voices take root within our heart. Someone came up to me later and said, you know, thank you for for that message. I needed to hear that I've been, you know, struggling with hearing those uh, outside voices, if you will, saying things that I know that aren't quite true. And um, I shared with that person something I'll share with you. Many times, and I'll only speak for myself, many times when I uh, preach certain messages and I I get up and I feel very um, burdened for a specific word... It's often because I needed the word for myself first. Before I could ever stand here and share it with you, before I could ever get up here and, and preach it to you and teach it to you, uh, many times it, it's something that God had to deal with me first in my heart, in my mind, to fix before sharing with others. So I hope that whenever I stand before you and talk that you never take my words as being something that is belittling or, or trying to diminish you and elevate me because the truth is I need Christ just as much as you need Christ. And on that note, I want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4 through 5. It says, There is one body and one spirit, even as you're called in one of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. If you will allow me just for a few minutes this morning, I want to talk to you on this title, many messengers, but one message. Many messengers, but one message. Now, you know, for the vast majority of man's history, society has been obsessed with measuring the value and worth of people. Uh, they use things like money and titles, uh, uh, inventions that, that they made, their overall intelligence uh, and, and other metrics to determine the worth of a specific individual. Um, Forbes has a, a list of the top 500 companies. We, we are, are always obsessed with determining how much someone is worth. Are they worth more than another person because they have accomplished more in their life, they've earned more in their life. They've, they've made more things in their life that has helped other people. And I would like to say that this only happens in the world, but unfortunately it's not necessarily true because we, we tend to do this sometimes in the church as well. Uh, across every major civilization throughout time you will find some form of ranking structure. This is not new to America, new to capitalism. All major civilizations throughout the span of time have had different rank structures and way they determine who is more important and who is the lower class individuals. And, and don't get me wrong, we all want to feel important. We all want to feel valued and appreciated. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Wanting to know that your life matters, wanting to know that you have a, a sense of self-worth. And importance there's nothing inherently wrong with that but unfortunately within the church we, we tend to do the same thing where we look at the title held by the person speaking or the number of books that they've written or the size of their congregation and use that as a metric to measure the importance or value of that purpose now on the surface this may not seem like such a big deal Right? There's nothing inherently wrong with wanting to be valued or appreciated. The problem arises when that need for feeling important becomes the driving force in your life. It's when your need for recognition supersedes your need to fulfill your purpose. It's when your desperation for attention causes you to put your name above the name of Christ. So if you allow me, I want to illustrate this by sharing a personal story with you. This story is true. Um, This this story happened, it's been a while back, but I, I want to share this story with you because I think it illustrates very well the things that I want to cover this morning. In 2007, I was stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And when you were stationed at a new base in the military... When you first arrive there, you go to a a specific unit in in processing unit. It's a place you go where you uh, make sure that all of your documents are in line, that you have all the medical things that you need, um, all of those kind of things. And then when you get to the end of this period, maybe it's one, two, three weeks, depending, you then receive specific orders on what unit you're going to go to at your new base. So at the end of two weeks... I had received orders that I was going to be going to the 561st Military Police Company of the 101st Airborne. Now, this unit was preparing to deploy to Iraq for a very important mission. And at this point in my military career, I had already been in the military for five years. i already completed almost two years' worth of combat experience. So by the Army standards, I was a seasoned soldier. And when I arrived at the 561st Headquarter Building, I was introduced to a young private who, prior to my arrival, was the only medic assigned to the unit. Being the only medic, she was, by default, the medic in charge. But my arrival meant that she would no longer be the medic in charge. This private was still very new to the Army. She had been in the Army for a grand total of less than two years, had zero combat experiences, or no extra schools or training. And as you can imagine, the military structure is pretty straightforward the highest ranking and hopefully most experienced individual is the one who's in charge. And it should seem fairly obvious as to why that is. But the importance that this this young private felt in being in a position where she interacted with leaders that are far above her own uh, pay grade, if you will, far above her own rank, her ability to influence other people, though she was still very new to the military, I admit it can be somewhat intoxicating, that, that feeling that you have such importance, that you have people that have been in the military way longer than you and now they look to you for answers. So when I arrive on the scene and challenge her place within the company, you can imagine that she was not overly thrilled about this. It was these feelings of jealousy that led this private to intentionally sabotage the company's process of getting ready for deployment. You see, when a military unit deploys, every single member has to go through a series of stations. To ensure that they are ready for deployment. Uh, when you are in the middle of the desert sleeping in a tent. You can't exactly jump in your Honda and drive down to the local store and get what you need. You can't exactly drive to your local dentist to have a cavity field. So the army takes great care to ensure that all of the things that, that they can cover prior to you going on a combat mission is covered. Now you can imagine in a company of 300 people. That is a lot of paperwork, Every single person has a folder, a file that has documentation to prove that they have met all of the standards, that they have met all of the, the checklist, if you will, to be able to be deployed into a combat zone. We're talking 300 folders full of somewhere between 15 and 25 pieces of paper. It's a lot. It's a lot of hard work. And the medics of the unit are typically the ones responsible for maintaining these folders. Now, when I arrived, most of the folders were already complete. Most of them had the things that they needed. I had checked through them several times myself because I understood the importance of those papers. Shortly before we would go to, to our deployment, It was announced that I would be the person now in charge. Again, I had been in the military longer. I had higher rank. I had more time in combat. I had more schools and more overall training. And in that moment of feeling hurt, this young private decided that she was going to go in and remove 50 of the folders from the office. And then in the remaining 250 folders, she would trash some of the documents in the folders so here it is the night before we are to go to this place this big warehouse if you will to to process to get ready for deployment so i i went at the end of the day i went back to look through all the folders one last look through before before the next day's events and when i opened the box and i looked in the folders and realized that number one there were several folders missing but that within the others there were numerous papers missing i began to panic Because as the senior medic, it it was on my shoulders to make sure that those documents were ready. And if we were to show up and those weren't ready, guess who it is that's going to get in trouble? Not that young private. It's me, right? The leader is the one who ultimately bears the responsibility. So I spent the entire night combing through all of those folders and trying to put all of them back together. And by some miracle, it was done. And we were able to complete our uh, necessary appointments for the next day. Now, there might be a temptation to look at this young private who had this, this uh, sense of self-importance and had done a lot of work already, who had spent time training the other soldiers, this, this soldier who had spent time and hard work doing all of the things that she had done prior to my arrival. It, it might be tempting to look at that situation and say, okay, I feel, I, I can understand, I sympathize why she would be upset that someone came in and took over. But in the military, it's not a place to allow your emotions to dictate who's in charge. It's not a job that you want to give somebody the chance to lead a combat mission because they're new and they haven't tried it before. You see, it's the senior medic, which is what I was, it's the senior medic's responsibility to ensure that everyone in my command, those medics underneath me, are trained and ready for the task at hand. It is my responsibility as the senior medic to ensure that they have the medical supplies that they need for the mission at hand. Because, see, if you have never been in combat, you can't truly understand the heart stopping moment that can occur at any time. That moment when, in the midst of total chaos, you hear the blood curdling scream, Medic! It rings through your ears. Because you know when you hear that word screamed, someone is in need of help. And they're screaming that word with an expectation that you are the one who is going to be able to respond to their situation and potentially save their life. You can watch every military movie throughout all of history and it still will not help you to truly grasp what it feels like to have that level of responsibility on your shoulders, to know that there are men and women, sons and daughters, fathers and mothers who are depending on you individually to be the one ready to respond in a moment's notice to potentially save their life. You see, this is why the military doesn't allow people to be in a position of leadership just because they feel like it's unfair, or they feel like, well, I need a turn. You wouldn't want the newest medic who has no experience, no training, being the one ultimately responsible for making those life and death calls. I can tell you that the weight of being that person is heavy. It's something that doesn't leave you after the mission ends. I can tell you every mission that I went on, I spent that time staring, looking at my surroundings, always thinking, okay, if we were to get attacked right now and this person was to get injured, where could I set up a place to treat the casualties? Or if we were attacked on this road over here and one of the vehicles was blown up, how could I arrange things to get them evacuated out? It is a, a thought process that runs through your mind nonstop all the time, every day when you're in a combat scenario, where it weighs so heavy that you see the responsibility uh, of your choices. It is unfortunately also the reason that many soldiers struggle when they come home. Because they go from spending a year, 365 days of always being in this mindset of, I have to be watching, I have to be looking, I always have to be ready. But now there's no mission at hand. What do you do with all of those feelings and emotions and thoughts that are running through your mind and know where to put them? I hope that in this short story it's easy for you to understand why the mission must be more important than the title I hope that anyone who hears this understands why the mission is more important than any one person's ego but church the spirit of pride that pushed this young soldier to risk the lives of others is not unique to the military we see this story played out in jobs across this country For hundreds of years we have seen the spirit of pride and jealousy cause men to kill their own fathers to obtain a crown and a title. We can go all the way back to the book of Genesis and see a man kill his own brother because of jealousy. But I have to tell you as bad as all of these stories are, they pale in comparison to the church. Because you see, as horrible as it is to see someone's life taken because of pride, we deal with man's eternal soul. The consequences of mishandling God's word can lead a person to eternal damnation. So this morning I am speaking to every person who says they love Jesus. I don't care if you don't feel called to to preach the message. I don't care if you don't feel called to have a title. Because the truth is, every person filled with the Holy Ghost has been called to reach the lost. Your role in the kingdom is no more and no less important than any other person within the kingdom of God. There are people hearing my voice, possibly saying to themselves, Well, he's not actually talking to me. I'm a nobody. To which I say, that is a lie from the pit of hell. The same Jesus who died for me, the same Jesus who died for David Bernard and Billy Cole and T.F. Tenney and other pillars of the faith is the same Jesus that looked at you in the moment of your need and died for your sins. So you can't tell me your life has any less value than mine because the king of glory saw you where you were in your sin, in your moment of iniquity and still chose to love you enough to die for your sins. We are all called to be messengers of the gospel. But before you run out to find the nearest empty pulpit, I need to help you understand what it is that God expects from his messengers. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 23, and we're going to kind of skip through some of these verses here. But Matthew chapter 23, I can already see, I don't know if I'm going to get through all of this. Matthew 23, we find Jesus talking, and he he is addressing his disciples, but he's also addressing the scribes and the Pharisees around him. Listen to what he says here, and I'm going to kind of try to go through this fairly quickly because I want to get somewhere here. In verse 2 of Matthew 23, it says this, Saying the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore, whatever they bid you observe, they that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be born and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers." We are called to share the gospel. We better be very careful that we're not trying to lay burdens and rules on other people that we ourselves are not keeping. Verse 5 all of their but all of their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. And, and maybe you're smarter than I, but I had to go back and look up what the word phylactery meant because it's not a word you hear very often. A phylactery is, um, think back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, when when Moses is giving the people instruction on how they are to remember where they came from so that they don't go back. He told them that they are to bind the word of God upon their hand and upon their forehead. That is a phylactery. If you've ever seen a a picture of a Jewish person going to pray, and they have this big block-looking thing right in the middle of their head, that's a phylactery. It's a physical representation to remind the people that they are to worship God and God alone. It is supposed to be a symbol for them to remain humble, to remind themselves that it was God that delivered them from their captivity. And yet, amazingly, Jesus is saying that these scribes and Pharisees were using their phylactery as a way to denote their importance over the other people. They got the bigger one. the the fancier one that they tied to their head. They, They made their clothes look so that they could be recognized as someone of more importance than the other lower Jews. This word that was supposed to unite the people in servitude to God became a tool to denigrate the poor and sick while promoting the religious elites. Verse 13, But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you go neither in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in. And I have to tell you, I've read that verse a million times. And, and I, I've always tried to wonder what exactly are they trying to say there. Interestingly, whenever a person officially became elected into office, if you will, of a scribe or Pharisee, they were given a literal key to the temple. They were the ones holding the key to the temple. That key that was supposed to be an access point for all of mankind to meet the presence of God, but instead they stood outside of the door keeping it locked so that no one else could enter into the house of God. So what Jesus is saying, you literally are barring people from entering into the house of God. And you yourselves won't even go in. You sit outside of the gate and talk and preach, making yourself more important than others. But what's really amazing about this verse is he takes it a step further because the deeper meaning of this verse is this. Jesus was the doorway. And these scribes and Pharisees refused to acknowledge Jesus as the doorway. But not only that, they actively work to keep others from recognizing Jesus as the doorway. So when he says you, you, you are shutting up the door to heaven and, and you don't go in and you don't allow others, it actually goes beyond just the physical building because they were stopping people from meeting the person who could save their soul. Verse 14, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make longer prayer, or make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte. And man, Jesus is pretty tough right here. Listen to what he says. And when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. That's, 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 whew. Because what was happening is they would go and make a big show of them discipling someone. And they would walk them around and parade them around like, look what I did. I, I made this disciple. But the whole time they're whispering in the ear of that supposed disciple. Oh, yeah, don't go over there. They're not worthy. And oh, and they gossip about this person, this person, and this person. So that though they claim to have made a disciple, what they've really done is made Someone to divide the house of God even further. Verse 19, ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying the body of Christ. Now, I throw this back in here at this moment because what has happened is the scribes and the Pharisees have looked at their position. They've looked at the thing that they have been given as a gift, and they value that position. They value that gift more than the one who gave them the gift in the first place. And so we find that Paul mentions in Ephesians to the church, he says, listen, God as a gift to the church has given prophets, teachers, evangelists, apostles, pastors. They are gifts to the church. But you see, sometimes we look at that person preaching, we look at that evangelist coming through, and we hear their smooth words, and we hear their their great storytelling, and we begin to look at that person and value their gift more than the giver. The gift. The fivefold ministry was never created to be the ones praised on a pedestal. They were meant to be the one in the trenches reaching the lost and pointing them to the only true king. All of us are called to be messengers of the gospel, but be careful that you don't ever let your pride make you think that your talent, that your gift, puts you above. The people you are trying to reach. And then verse 24 here. And I'm going to stop here at verse 24 for the media guys. We're going to go to Ephesians next. 24 says, ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Again, one of those verses I'm like, what is that supposed to mean? You strain at a gnat but swallow a camel. This is why when you read the word, you, you need to go beyond just reading it to say you've accomplished something. But you need to study the word. You need to, to, to make an effort to understand what the word is saying. This passage here, when I look this up, the, in, the original Hebrew, or in the original Greek, when it says "with strain at a gnat, what it's actually saying is to strain out a gnat. You see, a gnat was an unclean animal in Jewish culture. They, they could not eat food that had a gnat, with them. probably they didn't want to either, but they, they wouldn't eat food that a gnat was in, so they would take great care in their religious custom to strain out even a small little gnat. But a camel was also an unclean animal. And so Jesus is saying, you take such great care to follow all of your laws. You take such great care... To make sure that everyone else is following all the rules that you made up beyond my own word. And yet here you are swallowing a camel hole. You point to people and call them out for their sin. And yet in the same breath you're over here doing worse than that in the first place. And this is why Jesus talks so much about not liking hypocrites. Because what happens is is that when you are in that way that you are so hypocritical that you point out the smallest flaw in this one, while you do the things way worse over here, when people find out, they're not just mad at you. They become mad at God. They become mad at the church. And they say, church is just a bunch of hypocrites. Why would I go there? The truth is, that's not God's fault. It's yours or mine. Whenever we espouse laws on other people, but, but, but don't even try to keep them ourselves, it is our fault. Now, God isn't expecting you to be perfect, but what God is expecting that if you want to stand up and you want to preach fiery brimstone to call out the sins of others, you better make sure that your house is clean first. Now, a lot of toe-stepping. Okay, we're going to move now to Ephesians chapter 4, because What I really want out of this whole message is this. I don't don't want to stand here and condemn you and say all of these things. But I do need you to understand, like I need to understand, that God has expectations of us when we are sharing the gospel with other people. We have to know what God expects of us. So now we get to the thing of of what God, how we should operate, how we should act as a messenger for the gospel. Ephesians chapter 4 10 minutes. All right, here we go. I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye're called. Now, compare this next verse to what we just talked about before. With all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another's, or forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, even as Ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascendeth up on high, he laid captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Jump down to verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the, of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The purpose of your calling, the purpose of your ministry, is to bring unity within the body of Christ. It is to strengthen one another in love, peace, and patience. Your purpose is to carry the name of Christ in your job, in your home, and everywhere in between. The purpose of your calling is not to see your name written on a door in some corner office. The purpose of your calling is not to promote yourself or your talents. that we verse 14 that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the sleight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive but speaking the truth in love may grow up into all up into him in all things which is the head even Christ some of us have no problem speaking the truth but we have a hard time doing it in love But conversely, some of us have no problem preaching love, but at the expense of neglecting truth. And you can't do either. You have to have them both. It is the truth that will save you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But it is also the love that helps you to keep going when you make mistakes. And wouldn't you know it, God is love. So you have to have both attributes of God when you are trying to reach the lost. Because it says here until we all come in unity. That we all are working with one another. Lifting one another up. Encouraging one another. Offering correction and love. Verse 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body uh, unto the edifying of love itself. Verse 20, But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, in that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. I want to close this message with with a word of encouragement. I want to remind you as I have to remind myself. I am a words of affirmation guy. I know this about me. My wife has pointed it out to me more than once. I I know I'm a words of affirmation guy. I I have a, a need, if you will, sometimes to hear others say to me that I did a good job. Now, in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. It's okay to encourage one another. It's okay to lift up one another in love. That's okay. But any strength, anything that's taken into excess can become bad. So what happens in my own life, and what has happened off and on throughout my life, is if I feel like I am not getting the 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 accolades, the praise that I feel like I should, I begin to question. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not doing a good enough job. I see people talking, whispering over in the corner, and I'm like, I wonder if they're talking about me. Maybe they're mad at me because I did something. I, I know I'm not alone. I know there are plenty of other people who at times have the same issue. Because you see, what the enemy would love is nothing more, is to convince you that you're not good enough to be used by God. The enemy would love nothing more than to make you believe that everyone else is out to get you. That everyone else hates you. That God can't use you because you're too bad. But that's not truth. Because as I said earlier, the king of glory that chose to die on a cross for me is the same king of glory that chose to die for you. And here's the great thing. Jesus does not make mistakes. So if he called you, there's a reason he called you. So when you hear that voice saying you need to give up, quit, you've made too many mistakes, You know, or you should know, I want you to ingrain in your mind, that is not the voice of God. Because God doesn't make mistakes. God is not a man that he should lie. Therefore, if God called you for a purpose, that purpose does not change because you've made a mistake. But what it does mean is that you need to pick yourself back up, figure out what went wrong, work on improving, and continue to press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God. This is what Paul meant so often when he talked about my flesh has to die daily because I am reaching toward a perfect God, but I and myself am imperfect. But God's grace helps to bridge that gap so that even though I fall short, even though I make mistakes, I know that God's grace allows me another opportunity to get back up and to try again. The verse that we so often quote Rejoice not against me, O mine enemies, for when I fall, I shall arise. We like that shall arise part. But I think sometimes we forget the first part of that. When I fall. Not if, when. Because all of us are human. All of us will make mistakes. God does not expect perfection from you, but he does expect progress from you. The daily effort to push toward being better. And church, this is the place where we should be the safest in improving ourselves and growing in the love and mercy of Christ. It should be in this body, in this family, that we feel confident enough to reach out to a brother or sister to say, hey, I need help. And not be in fear of condemnation and not be in fear of people pointing fingers and laughing. So, church, before we can ever reach the world, we need to be united together. One God and one message. Let's all stand. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to gather together with light believers, with my brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, knowing that we all have fallen short Of your glory but I thank you for the body of Christ which was given to edify to lift up to love one another to be in unity that we could all see your kingdom come and your will be done Lord, right now I speak against every spirit of division, every spirit of hatred, every spirit of self-promotion and pride and egoism. I rebuke it in your name that instead we would love one another in meekness and in humility, that we would recognize our need for your perfection. But I also rebuke that spirit of condemnation that would tell us that we are too far gone or that we cannot make it. Because your grace and your mercy is sufficient, your blood covers a multitude of sins, and your death on Calvary was not in vain. So I pray, Lord, as we come into this next part of the service, that our worship would be lifted to you, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. We give you all glory and all honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Be back in 10 minutes, ready to worship.